0: Welcome to Dissecting Education, where we take a spherical look at the education landscape from many vantage points. I'm your host, Dr. Melanie Hicks. Glad you're here with us today. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to Dissecting Education. I am thrilled today to have a very special guest on the show, Ama Yasin. She earned a BA from Harvard University, an MBA from Wharton School, and a JD from the University of Pennsylvania Law School. Her unique understanding of social issues, business and the law has enabled her to become a relevant voice on issues as varied as diversity, sexual violence, and personal empowerment. She's a frequent contributor to publications such as the Huffington Post and the Atlantic. And in 2013, a painful experience with bullying inspired her to write a best-selling fable about difference, Sunni's Gift. Miss Yasin became so personally invested in spreading the book's message of healing and harmony that she quit her job as a securities lawyer to become a full-time author, storyteller, speaker, and my favorite, edutainer.
1: Her life-changing
0: <laughs> workshops and training sessions incorporate storytelling, drama, dance, history, cutting-edge psychological research, and legal analysis in order to truly propel participants towards healthier and more successful lives. We are so blessed have such a talented person sitting in our podcast today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. So tell us, um, let's start with um, your story from kind of early days. What what propelled you to kind of, um, what's your educational path? You went to all these wonderful schools. You have this very deep expertise. So what were some of, some of the, the historical, you know, Um, drivers for you.
1: Perfect. Thank
0: you. Well, I am the
1: children of immigrants. Uh, both of my parents are from Ghana and West Africa. My father came here to get a PhD in educational sociology from NYU. My mom, who was a midwife in Ghana, joined him and then became an obstetrics nurse here. And I really just grew up in a household where education was really valued, was really, really, really stressed, um, and a very intellectually stimulating household. I mean, we watched 2020 every Friday. We just had discussions all the time. My father's friends would be over and every Every, you know, dinner conversation was one that was very intellectually rigorous, uh, giving my parents backgrounds in educational sociology and then my mother in health. Um, and I had a phenomenal opportunity when I was about 11 years old. I was watching 11, 12. I was watching 2020. And there was a, um, <laughs> there was a special called like How to Save a Child. And it was about taking talented African-American and Latinx students from the New York City area and giving them opportunities to go to elite boarding schools. And I remember secretly thinking and knowing that my mother while watching it with me was thinking, wouldn't it be great if Alma were to get into such a program? And then lo and behold, some months and months pass and I'm sitting at my junior high school in in a class and I get a, there's an announcement that I need to come to the principal's office. I get to the principal's office and they tell me that they're nominating me for a special program. I get to the interview and I see all the people I saw on TV.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: Same program. It's called the Albert G. Oliver program. And so I go through the interview process, it's like about every junior high school in New York was able to nominate one to two kids. And then out of that process, they came out with 60 kids. And I was one of the 60 kids. So I had an amazing opportunity to go to a Quaker boarding school called George School in Newtown, Pennsylvania. And it was fantastic. Really loved it. It was a phenomenal place. The Quakers believe that every person has a piece of God within them. And so the model of the school was mind the light, which is mind the part of God, which is in you and mind the part of God, which is within others. And so it was a beautiful holistic experience I loved it for the four years I graduated well at the top 10% of my class was able to go to Harvard afterwards and my father really uh, pushed me towards investment banking uh, because he felt that this was an arena to make lots of money he felt that he had done the poor he had done made a big mistake going into academia he thought this was the wrong place for him to be and he really wanted to make sure that all his children went into more practical areas and so to Harvard. I did investment banking at a uh, at Bank of America, which is now Bank of America Merrill Lynch, and then went to pursue my JD and MBA. So nothing in this story says ed- edutainer, nothing in it says educator. <laughs> nothing in it says children's writer. None of it says diversity trainer. Like all of the things that I call myself now were not in this experience. I mean, I was really following a very traditional path that was driven by my father's desire for me to really become a part of this sort of like elite financier class, which he thought was that was going to be making it up for immigrants. Um, And I I did, I dutifully was was a financier. I did investment banking after law school and business school. worked at Cleary Gottlieb writing the disclosure for financial instruments but then I changed like you know if if anyone were to know me I don't need to be sitting in anyone's bank for 12 hours a day
0: (laughs) I can tell that in five minutes of knowing you
1: (laughs) like I need to meet people I need to be out I need to to really sort of Uh, just be more dynamic. And, but the thing is, you know, for many of us and I'm sure a lot of listeners can relate to this, we kind of go through life on that path of what other people believe is success, right? Our parents, society, they say, this is what's successful. Like I remember, you know, I'm in a high rise, I'm in my office, I'm looking over the city. Like my my last office at Citigroup was in Long Island City. I could see Manhattan for many people. That is making it right. You're a corporate lawyer. You're a vice president at a major bank. Vice president, senior counsel. This is it. Stay your butt there and make your money and move on with your life. But uh, you know, sometimes God is calling for us to do other things, and that's what happened to me. So I have two kids, and when my I have a, a, a child who's 11, a boy who's 11, a boy who's 8. And when the 11 year old was 3, I took him to a barber shop I told the barber, "Don't shave off all his hair. I want him to have a little style." The barber then proceeded to start shaving his hair from the middle. When I said, hey, 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 what are you doing? He said, you have a real N-I-G-G-A right here. And it's like, why, why is this, you know, this is not pretty here. Cutting it off is the best cut for him. And at that same barbershop there was a woman in the back who was very bleached so this is a podcast so you can't see me but i am a dark-skinned black woman think of lupita nyong'o think of i mean i'm trying to think of other dark-skinned black women kelly Rowland. think of someone with deep brown skin think of erica alexander think of all you know all of these people i'm, I'm a browner-skinned woman as opposed to a fair-skinned black woman like let's say uh, uh, Soledad O'Brien or uh, Beyonce and whatnot. And so right. she, her complexion was more like mine in her, on her hands, but her face was more like Beyonce's, which was a clear indication that she was using chemicals to bleach her skin. Right. And so I'm there having this like experience of recognizing the uh, self hatred that is often in the African American community and many communities of color, and I was just really deeply saddened by the experience and felt like I needed to do something about it. And at the time, I was reading a book that said the best, the best way to teach a lesson is through a story. And at the time, I didn't conceive of myself as a storyteller because I'd never written before. Sure. I, I mean, and I was, and my educational background was all in law and business and social analysis. Like, I didn't think I could be creative. But mm-hmm. the thing that liberated me that I'd love to share with everyone is that Marion Williamson said on Oprah's podcast or Oprah's show, Super Soul Sunday, art is no different from prayer. So any person who can pray can create art. And that really liberated me. So I started love praying that. on a seriously, right? Isn't it just yeah. a, anyone who can pray can create art. Yeah. And basically what she was saying is that we're not the vehicle for art. The art is really comes from source, comes from a divine power, comes from God. And so all we have to do is tune into that and be the vehicle through which that art flows. So God yeah. creates it, but He gives it to us. And we just, so He said, She said that Michelangelo did not create the famous sculpture David. God created David. Michelangelo was just the vehicle for wiping away the excess stone, which yeah. is a really beautiful metaphor because it says art exists. But instead of thinking about like it in this hard way and I'm carving the eyes and I'm carving it. It's like, no, there's just excess stone that needs to be removed. And Michelangelo is just a vehicle for doing that. So that really, uh, really touched me and inspired me to meditate, pray on a story. And so I came out with my first children's book and did a Kickstarter uh, to publish it. And the story is about the creator creating the world with a sun child, a water child, a wind child. And a, a, a earth, a earth, and an earth child, sun, earth, water, and wind. All of these four elements, and right. the creator makes a sun child with this kinky hair that grows toward the sun, and the sun child, it has the power to make the sun rise and set. And so, oh, going great, so beautiful. Thank you. Everything is going great. When one day, all of the magical beings go to a river and look at their reflections and it occurs to them that the sun child is the only one with, sh- with, with kinky hair that grows up, not down. Because the water child has hair that's straight that flows like water. The earth child has hair that's straight that grows down toward the soil. The wind child has straight hair that blows with the breeze. The sun child's the only one with this sort of halo type hair that grows up. And so either out of jealousy or confusion, they start teasing the sun child to say, hey, you need to look like us. And then when the sun child takes a stick and starts beating all the hair to make it straight, all of the sun child's hair falls out and the sun disappears as a result. So they have earth, they have water, they have wind, but they have no sun. they're like uh oh we're in danger of extinction what are we gonna do so in the end they have to figure this out while learning an important lesson about respecting the differences that we all have and looking at um our differences as a form of beauty and interdependence and so when i wrote this story and published it and then started doing speaking started performing the story from memory i had been a queen storytelling champion um, in my elementary school. So I was familiar with this art of like re- reciting stories from memory in a dramatic form, which is not a popular art, but I started doing that at schools. And I started doing it at corporations and at old folks home, I became this performer. And of course I could not do all of that and be a corporate lawyer. So eventually I quit my job and have been on this very exciting and very tumultuous road of entrepreneurship and thought leadership since 2015. And so that is how I came into education.
0: Oh, I love this so, so much. What a powerful way to both express your own gifts and this story that is so relevant to, could not be more relevant to our time, but also so timeless um, as it's just about harmony and, and really loving what is the human experience, right? And in this case, the, the element experience, right? Yeah, <laughs> right? Right.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Oh, I love that so much. So tell us a little bit about the entrepreneur part of your journey. Um, how has that, you know, what are some of your, your ups and downs with that? And what, where do you, um, you know, I talk to, I work a lot with entrepreneurs and I, I always, try to get them to, to be vulnerable about some of the the fear factor that happens when you leave something that you know already that you're good at for something that in your heart, you know, you're good at, but no, it hasn't been proven yet, right?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So it has been quite a road. I mean, I think I was really praying that the book would take off. I'd sell a million copies and I could have relaxed. That has not happened as of yet. It's in the pipeline, but it has not happened as of yet. And yeah. so there's just been such a... Um, a journey of like reinvention of just figuring out how to do more really has been a challenge for me. Like, as, you know, in the beginning, people expected that I would just sit down and read the book, but then it was a challenge. No, Amma, you have to make this a performance. People are not going to pay me to just sit down and read. I have to incorporate music, so incorporate drums. I have to incorporate dance. I have to memorize the story. I have to perform it. I have to find schools that are willing to bring me on. They may bring me for bullying prevention month. They may bring me in for, um, for, what? for, 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 for Black History Month, for Women's History Month. Then I have to figure out, how I'm going to explain the story so that it can apply to those commemorative months because they brought me on for bullying prevention. So let's discuss respect for all. Let's discuss what the themes are. Um, And so it has been a process. It really has been in terms of uh, opening opening up my mind and my creativity to how to really make this work. And and I wrote a sequel to the book. So the sequel, this book is Sune's Gift. The sequel is Earth Day's Gift. I'm working on continuing this series. Um, And so it's been a process of really pushing myself in terms of my creativity, but then also being a force for others because soon I realized that my company is a vendor to the New York City Department of Education. I realized, hey, I'm only one person. If I wanna be expansive, both in terms of getting the word out about these concepts and these themes. And if I also wanna be expansive about um, my income, I'm going to have to develop more and I'm only one person. So I started teaming with other artists. So for example, I have artists that are doing residencies and songwriting and music and art, et cetera, all for, for New York City public school kids. And so I realized, hey, I'm, I'm a talented person, but there are other talented people. So that was another evolution going from just being a one woman or two person show, because I bring in musicians to saying, how can we, increase the pie? And how do I bring bring opportunities to other artists while making a semi-passive? It's not passive. I'm still hustling and calling the schools up and I'm organizing it, but I'm not physically doing it myself. So while creating passive income for myself. And so, and then COVID hit and schools could not even think about like, social emotional learning to a certain extent and arts education, which I was doing, they really were like, you know, completely devoted to just figuring out how online would work. And so I had to, one, figure out how I could be online, but two, I had to increase my reach to the corporate world. And so whereas pre-COVID, I would say 60% of my work were with districts. I would say now, 60% 60% of my work is with corporations and organizations. I'm doing a lot more work because with the Black Lives Matter movement and what happened, there was a lot of demand. And I also recognize that I want to expand my staff and capability to also serve corporations. And so it is a constant uh, process of reinvention, entrepreneurship. Of, of pushing through fears, being creative, of being innovative. Uh, it's, you know, especially as a self-supporting entrepreneur, I'm not someone who has a day job. And then like, no, th- like right. if I'm going to make any money, it's all the money, 100% of the money I make is from actually entrepreneurship and actually doing my work. And so it's a beautiful journey. I wouldn't say it's an easy journey,
0: but <laughs> It never is, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> tell us about, um maybe some how how you've pivoted from what it's very I think easy for for us to wrap our minds around how this would play out in schools and how valuable it would be for children but how is it being received in the corporate world have you have you pivoted that message to make it relevant to a corporate scenario
1: absolutely that's a great question so in my corporate programs I do not necessarily perform in all of them. I, you know, I, I work with them and in some of them I am performing this book for corporate leaders. And it's very interesting. The students are very, are most often more adept at analyzing it because <laughs> I think maybe they're in school. So they're kind of used to it. Sometimes I perform it for adults and it's like, they're racking their brain to figure out like the answers to some of the, the, the comprehension <laughs> questions in terms of what the moral of the story is. What is the environmental theme? They're like, oh, this is hard. They're like. <laughs> well the kids, the kids are like they, they like they, they, they know it offhand but I've, I've I've been able to covet by again bringing in all of the other skills you know I was an attorney I am a social scientist by undergraduate training and so I, I discuss you know deeper issues of well I wouldn't say deeper I would I discuss the basically the the research behind the work So what Sune experience could be considered a microaggression, but I'm bringing in the the idea of what a microaggression is, right? What are these these daily slights that people are engaging in because of certain forms of bias that are very often implicit? What are the thoughts that we have surrounding the way people look based on their skin tones? I'm bringing in research about, uh, you know, studies about uh, recruiting and, 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 and law enforcement, studies which are saying, hey, when you tell, a police officer, and you give them a simulation that says, if the person has a gun, shoot. If the person does not have a gun, don't shoot. What are the mistakes that they often make? Unsurprisingly, when a black person does not have a gun, they somehow see a gun and shoot. And when a white person has a gun, they often don't see it and don't shoot. Right. So, so basically, in pivoting towards the corporate world, I'm bringing in more of the analysis. So for children, very often we're kind of just staying in the story. In the corporate world, I'm actually saying how the, how the story reflects so many themes that have been well-researched and well-documented by other people in, in you know sociologists, psychologists, etc. And so basically I'm pulling more of that in for the adult populations.
0: Oh, I love that. I love that so much. And it also, it speaks such a um, great illustration on how simple, Yet complex, but like at the foundational level, how simple some of these things are that we still need to be learning them, relearning them, reanalyzing them as adults. We can't just, you know, brush off that, you know, oh, you know, when I was in school, I had bullying, or my, you know, my kids have a bullying class, or I took a parent class on bullying. No, we need to be re examining them and how they play out in different scenarios, how they play out in the workplace versus. Um, you know, like social settings um, and, and how they play out with our, our inner uh, mingling with just other people in society.
1: Absolutely. No, it's, it's, it's absolutely lifelong work. Like, I mean, I tell people I'm a diversity trainer and I make mistakes. I engage in microaggression because we've all grown up with certain ideas about how people are, how they should be, et cetera. And we are not going to deprocess that overnight it takes really it takes consistent work it takes meditation it takes mindfulness it takes a growth mindset it takes all of these things to be able to change those
0: embedded thought prop, embedded thought patterns so absolutely yeah. absolutely do you see um or how do you how do you see things beginning to change do you do you you know i've talked to as we start to have these like kind of tough conversations, right, out, out in the world, um, there are kind of people on all sides. People say that we're, we're not, you know, we're just reigniting a fire around issues that were already there, but we're not actually making progress. I see some people saying by reigniting that, these hard conversations, we're making some progress. Some people think we're making more progress than others. Where do you fall in kind of the spectrum of, of where we are in this conversation?
1: I think we continue to need all hands on deck. So very often, unfortunately, I I would never be someone to say that progress has not been made. Like when I think about what people went through pre-Brown versus Board of Education in 1954, uh, pre-desegregation, the idea that people had to go through, people of of, of non-white ancestry had to figure out what hotels they could go to, where they could go, what navigate which neighborhoods. I mean, I can't imagine that level of thinking in my daily life anymore. I can walk in to many places and feel comfortable. And I think that's progress. So when people say we've made no progress at all, I say, absolutely not, right? I'm very pleased by the fact that for the most part, I can walk into many spaces without any sort of fear to my my personhood, that I'm going to be beat up, that people are going to say, no, I'm not allowed, right? I'm I'm glad that I don't see colored only signs versus white only signs. It's Mm -hmm. absolutely true. However, there's so much work to be done. So for example, people of African descent have 10% of the net worth of white Americans. So, white America, the, the average white American household has 171,000 versus the average black household that's 17,000. I mean, these this is a huge disparity that's going to impact so many aspects of our lives, access to healthcare, access to education, so many aspects, of men, mental health, etc. So We know that there's a ways to go. We know that very often instead of the past sort of open discrimination that, ex, that that people experience. Now it's certainly more implicit. We don't see the four colored sign versus the whites only signs, but there are certainly spaces that when we look at the numbers, it, there might as well be a white only sign, right? You look at like CEOs of Fortune 500 corporations, even though it doesn't say that the impact or the outcome has been just the same. Right. So I think for me, it's like, we just need all hands on deck. So I'm very proud to be someone who works with children. I'm proud to be a children's book author. Because when I go into preschools and I'm teaching them this lesson, I am so hopeful that in the future, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, they'll still remember if I'm not true to myself and if I don't believe in who I am and I'm not proud of who I am, it's basically like the sun is going out. I want children to believe that because they've heard this message. So we need art to change. We need literature to change. We need change in education. We need change in corporate settings. It really has to be a sort of holistic, multi-dimensional effort in order for us to have that success.
0: Yeah, I could not agree more. I, the The spectrum, it, it can't be a Band-Aid and it can't be a single one-size-fits-all solution, right? It just can't. There's just too many complex yeah. factors at work. Exactly, exactly. But it also, you know, by that same token, I, I think people, I don't speak for myself, but I know, you know people that I talk to where you know, I am, I am not a woman of color. I am a woman who has their own set of uh, discriminatory factors, but not nearly what uh, being a woman of color would experience in everyday life. And so I struggle with, you know, not being discouraged by where to start, right? Like what Um, can I do as a single person, an entrepreneur myself, you know, not in charge of a big team where I could make, maybe instill things in my team or whatever. How can I do things to help the cause, to be the right kind of voice, the right kind of amplifier um, and the right kind of change agent. Um, so I wonder if you could speak to kind of, what do you say to the you know, people who really want to be a part of this and don't know, you know, don't wanna be overwhelmed by the enormity of it?
1: Sure, no, that's a phenomenal question. I mean, what, one, one of my favorite quotes is the most um, insidious way in which the people are oppressed uh, or the way that their power is taken away is by them not believing they have any power to begin with. So I think that the most important uh, mindset to have is all of us have some degree of power, right? None of us are powerless. So for you, you've already shown some advocacy with respect to your podcast, right? And being and being, being curating your podcast, podcast in such a way that diverse voices are being brought to the fore. That's one way in which you're just amplifying voices and amplifying messages So that in this marketplace of ideas, people have access to ideas that they may not they may not have had, had you not brought it to their attention. So that's one way, right? I mean, every day you're purchasing decisions, right? So, I mean, you have the power to support local business, women-owned business, Black-owned businesses. Now, since, you know, this, this awakening that we've had, you literally can look up Black-owned on Etsy, right? And be able to find a number of small Black-owned makers that you could support. Uber Eats, you can say, oh, you know, I want something different. Let me try Caribbean food or Ethiopian food or Senegalese food, et cetera and just and support with your dollars, these businesses. So I, I think that there are ways in which like everyday ways in which we can assert ourselves that um, we have complete that are completely within our domain. For Women who are parents, when they go to their PTA meetings and they say, oh, I really want our PTA, cause I speak at PTAs all the time to have a session on uh, like how to talk to our kids about race. Like I've met okay. I've plenty of people who go and volunteer and say, I would like us to have this discussion. So they open that discussion at school. They certainly are able to say to their teachers or when the PTA is sponsoring book clubs and book readings and they're saying, oh, over the 10 months of the school year we're going to choose these different books they have the ability to say, we're going to make sure that these books that we choose are not all books that are representing the same thought pattern, or same way of life. So I mean, i I've just think a couple, but there are just so many different ways that in our daily lives, we can assert our power.
0: Yes, I love that. And those are wonderful, wonderful examples. And really, again, it's about taking away the overwhelmingness or the fear factor that that you're not doing enough and just do something right. I, I give, when I give my own uh speeches, I talk all the time about um, just start where you are and it's okay to make a new choice. If you exactly. later, you know, I mean, it's okay to just say today I will order from a new restaurant, a style of food that I didn't know yeah. I like or not. And if I didn't like it, that's perfectly okay. I tried it and I should try something else tomorrow, exactly. I, you know, or whatever. I, I love the idea of just, getting out there and making intentional, purposeful decisions for good. And it's perfectly okay to make those as tiny baby steps. Um
1: hundred percent, a hundred percent. And it can be, you know, exactly. You make the baby steps and you're, maybe you do like the food and or you order from there, you know, every right. other week or what have you. Like, the, I mean, it's it's just a step in the right direction. And right. Right. Way of just asserting your power in a way that is not overwhelming. It is easy, but it makes a huge difference. I mean, there's so many small businesses out there that every single sale is just so critical to them that when Absolutely. you like, you know, you think you did something that was small, but for them getting that order is, is, is amazing. It's like, right. It's
0: amazing. Yeah. I absolutely um, am kind of a diehard on ordering from, from boutiques and or purchasing yeah. from boutiques and ordering from Etsy and, and just small shops. I love local artist places. And it's even better to me, more personal when I know the story behind it. Right. And nice. so that's one of the greatest things about the small business world um, and, and particularly of late women-owned and Black-owned businesses have started to, to use that to, to connect with people Absolutely. like me and yeah. who really yeah. care about the story behind it. I have a pair of earrings that I adore that I bought two weeks ago from an artist co-op that I stumbled upon while trying to get to a meeting and said, I will come back after this meeting. And I came back and they're like pressed flowers inside resin. And they're just, Aww. but it's this artist who was like a botanist and she just started wanting to do something that was fun and, and creative and artistic. And so she started making jewelry out of these flowers and it has the whole story. And I just, there's nothing more precious to me than having meaning behind physical items, right? I mean, uh, you know, or, or even family stories around restaurants, right? I mean, that's, you know, whatever, however yes. we share because that's human connection and how we spend our dollars and how we connect that with human connection is, um, is powerful.
1: And that's the way I think that we were created. There's a um, a doctor named Gabor Mate who actually believes that the rise in autism is partly because of a disconnected world that we live in. Oh, that's fascinating. Right, the fact that communities are used to being, you know, in a tribe, it's used to being in a community, used to knowing people, saying hello to your neighbors, knowing who they are. Yet we live in this disjointed world where we don't even, very often we don't know our neighbors. Very often we don't, like we, we just order things online. We don't know who made it. We don't know where that money is going. It's like dark money is, is all money for the most part, right? Cause you just have no clue, et cetera. Whereas you can imagine like, for, for, for millennia, we knew the butcher, we knew the baker. Yes. We had a connection to all these things. We called the person Mr. and Mrs. Dad or auntie that, you know, an uncle that, like we knew who they were and we just felt connected to all the things in our lives, all the people in our lives, instead of being holed up in our, um, you know, literally with COVID, that's how we felt, up <laughs> in our right, right. <laughs> just ordering and things are just coming in mysteriously and we yeah. don't know. But really where it comes from um mm-hmm. and, and it has to be the differentiator for small businesses it really can't like sometimes I sell my books and I give them my card and I say this is my actual phone number like if you have a question about the story and your kids want to know they can call me on the phone they can call me on the phone and they can ask like how many like kids are shot floored because they literally never experienced that in their entire lives that they had a and they actually felt like they knew the author and could have a conversation about it. Like those things are priceless. It all, You know, besides it making us just feel good and feel more connected, it also kind of demystifies the world for us, especially yeah. for our children, because it's like, oh, they thought something was so like out of reach. But then when they know a human being who's actually a
0: part of it and who has done it, it doesn't feel so out of reach. Right. Well, and it's a way, it's a way for them to, for people to, uh you know, make, bring the world small again, make the world small again. Yes, exactly. It does make the world small
1: again. Um, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. Um, and that's what we need more of it. Yeah.
0: So what's next for you? I know you talked a little bit, you, you, as we were earlier talking about how you're expanding both your, Uh, kind of the story itself and more business, but, but tell us a little bit more about uh, what your What's your what's your big goals? What's your big audacious goals for for your yeah, business? thank you. So I want to write more books. I want to sell more books, of course,
1: but I also want to make sure that uh, I'm, I'm you know I'm expansive in terms of creating opportunities. I mean, it has been a joyful experience for me to place artists at schools to give people opportunities to work and to earn a living off of their craft. And I want to expand into other arenas in terms of staffing. I think that right now there there there's a push for uh, diversity and inclusion, but many corporations and many organizations are like, I don't even know where to find these candidates. Um, Like I was doing, I I put this in in many of my presentations, That very often people think that they are being inclusive, but they're not because very often the jobs that they have are being circulated within their own community. Uh, Many jobs, you may see even sometimes it's even more, I, I would say, a little bit more intentional in that you may see a job on Monster and the job's already been filled. Like they are, let me not say they filled it, they know who is going to fill it, yes. <laughs> right? Yes. Like, and I speak to you all the time who say, yeah, I've been in interviews and have the feeling that I wasn't really being interviewed. It was just a part of a protocol when in actuality, they had an inside person that they were planning to choose. So I'm very interested in making sure that. Uh, where organizations are genuinely interested in creating diverse teams, they have access to that talent. And so that that is really what I'm interested in, increasing my staffing capacity, Mm -hmm. continuing to engage in thought leadership, but making sure that uh, my my company is a resource to filling these gaps and helping to improve diversity and inclusion at corporations and organizations.
0: Right, I love that so much. I think that that it is, it is something that over the years has made my stomach churn on so many levels when the when you know that it's a the phrase, you know, I, ca- I can't find candidates because we all know there are talented people of all shapes, sizes, colors, and genders out there who Absolutely. need to be sitting in those seats. And yes. it's just doing the work to get out of what you've always done. Exactly. To get, them to get into a different this. result. Exactly. Yes
1: what you've always done is you've sent it to people in your circle, but unfortunately our circles are so narrow very often that that means nothing.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. I wrote a piece for Forbes um, that talked about Granovetter, who's a psychologist from the sixties who talked about weak, weak and strong ties and weak ties, right. And strong ties is your circle. And it's great to have that for support, but weak ties are what, these people that you, that you come across like once or through, through a group or two steps away, those are the, that's how you build real community and real networking and real outreach is by tapping into these weak ties and allowing it to natural, not, you know, to kind of the osmosis of knowing people to naturally get out. And what happens is you're right. These job descriptions, they get circled among our strong ties. And maybe someone might think of someone or whatever that might be a weak tie to you, but really it's, they're pretty close. They're one degree of separation. And what we need is to be able to proliferate some of this stuff out in a more broad-based way and really pull together uh, not just the the best candidate, but the best candidate for that individual position, right? I mean, there are so many people sitting miserable in jobs Mm -hmm. because they took it because they check the boxes, right? But they're not using their greatest talent. And how much better would they be? Even if they're a good employee, how much better would they be if they were in the job they really could flourish in, right? If they were-
1: about Absolutely. I mean, passion beats everything. Everything. Passion, I mean, literally all things are possible. You have, I mean, I, I, I take passion over experience or passion over even intelligence any day because yes. the energy and, and and everyone wants to be around that. Like as an entrepreneur, if I'm hiring someone, I want them to be as gung-ho about our mission as I am. You yes. don't want someone who's just there because, oh, actually they're qualified and they needed a job. And so you're hundred percent right. Like to me, increasing my staffing capacity. is kind of about this, you know, this book soon give and making sure that people are really playing the role that they were born to do and that they blossom where they were planted.
0: Yes. Yes. I love that so much. So as we start to wrap up, tell me how, or tell us how people can get in touch with you. How can they find the book and also get in touch with you about corporate trainings or school trainings or um, any, any of that?
1: Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So happy to hear that. So yeah, so in terms of my books, all of them are available on Amazon, Walmart.com, Barnes and Nobles. You can just look up my name. My first name is Ama, A-M-A, and you can use the last part of my hyphenated name for convenience, Yawson. Y-A-W-S-O-N. If you look that into Amazon, Walmart, many of my books that come up, Sune's Gift is the book that I described to you. Love that book. The, the sequel, Earth A's Gift, is about really overcoming uh, procrastination in order to achieve your gift. So the whole series is about the fact that we have all of these different, I would say, challenges with respect to being the highest manifestation of ourselves. One challenge may be bullying and lack of self-esteem and low self-image. Another challenge can be that we're just not putting in the work because you have a gift but you have to put in the work and very often we get distracted right so check out both those books Sune S-U-N-N-E apostrophe S Sune's gift and Earth Day's gift E-A-R-T-H-E apostrophe S Earth Day's gift additionally I have another book that I'm really excited about this came out in uh 2020 in J- June of 2020, right as the you know we, we, the the whole country was coming to a reckoning with respect to uh, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, it's called the Talk, a black family's conversation about racism and stereotypes and police brutality. And in the book, you have an actual family that is struggling during the COVID pandemic with virtual learning and children who take a break from their virtual learning and go out and play, come back into their homes to actually find their parents crying while watching the George Floyd video. And the parents take that opportunity to have a really candid conversation with their children about what's going on. And so I really would hope people would check that out as well. Uh, So those are my books. In terms of getting in contact with me, I'm a public person. You can call me. My number is 347-886-2026. 347-886-2026. My email address is ama, A-M-A, at my company's name, which is Miles Tales, M i l e s. T A L E S dot Ama A M A at M I L E S T A L E S dot com. I look forward to connecting with you and, and, and doing the work and making sure that we have a place where everyone's gifts are being fully utilized.
0: Oh, thank you so much. That was so wonderful. And all of those contacts and links to her book will be in the show notes. So check out the show notes um, if you didn't have a pen while you're listening to this. So um, thank you again for being here with me. Uh, we are so blessed to hear your story and to just share these, these really important, critical conversations. Um, so thank you. It's been great. This has been Dissecting Education with your host, Dr. Melanie Hicks, a production of In Pursuit Research, outcomes driven, impact focus. Thanks. And we'll see you on another episode soon.